You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, greetings, everyone. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to tune into the show, and I hope that each episode inspires and encourages you on your own journey. Big shout out if you're listening to the podcast for the very first time. I hope that you enjoy it and that you'll check out more episodes. And for those who are regular listeners, thanks so much. You guys all rock. You're amazing. And I appreciate the support so much. Also, a special thank you to my sponsors, INLPcenter.org, offering world-class online NLP and life coach training to people in over 70 countries. I'm honored to be able to receive my certifications from INLP Center through their incredible training and life coaching certification programs. And to daily recovery support, interactive daily group calls in a safe atmosphere for survivors of complex trauma, equipping you with the skills and information you can use every single day in your healing journey. Learn more about this affordable resource and get signed up at cptsdfoundation.org. If you find these podcasts helpful, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends. That would be awesome, and I would so appreciate it. So today on the podcast, my guest is fellow podcaster and advocate Al Levin. Al's podcast, The Depression Files, focuses primarily about talking with men about living with and overcoming depression. He also covers other aspects of mental health and suicide prevention. Al and I met at the Healthy Voices Conference in April 2018 in Chicago. And like so many of us who met at this incredible conference, we've kept in touch and support each other's advocacy work. Al shares a story with us on the show today, which starts out in 2010 with a series of events that led him to speak with his family doctor and receive a diagnosis of depression and start on medication, which, over time, caused his life to be turned upside down and combined with mounting pressures at work and other personal struggles led to thoughts of taking his own life. The political and social climate we live in means that validation and encouragement that Al shares and so many others like him is more important than ever. Our mental health, regardless of gender, cannot take a backseat in our lives. Living with shame and embarrassment and social pressures keep us silent and continue to take a toll on our life and reinforce silence and isolated struggle. There's help available and everyone deserves to be heard and understood and receive the help they need. Don't be afraid or embarrassed. Take that first step of asking. It just might change your life. There's so much more I could tell you, but let's jump right into the chat and you can hear for yourself from Al Levin right here on Beyond Your Past right now. So, hey, Al, welcome to Beyond Your Past. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Matt. I'm excited to be on your show. Absolutely. And from one uh, podcaster to another, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, you and I had met uh, at the Healthy Voices Conference this past April uh, 2018, as we are recording this now. And um, I've talked to several guests, or I've, I've had several people on the podcast now since then, and some more coming up. And I'm stoked to learn more about your story, the podcast, the blog, and all that good stuff. So we can start out and maybe you can share a little bit more about yourself, and then we'll dive into the topics. All right. That sounds good. It's kind of a crazy, hectic, busy time of year for me because I am a 
a uh, school administrator. I'm an assistant principal in St. Paul Public Schools, and obviously the school year has just started, and uh, we are in full throttle, rocking and rolling. The kids are in the school. Our school is still under construction a bit because we've had some uh, renovations and an addition uh, going on in our building. So we're uh, what they call cohabitating with the uh, construction workers, our staff, and the students. And um, otherwise, though, it's been a pretty smooth start to the school year, and I'm continuing to do my blogging and podcasting on the side uh, while trying to make sure I prioritize the job I get paid for as a school administrator and keep up on that side of things as well. It's a balance, right? I mean, you know, doing doing your day job and then and then trying to do all the blogging and the and, and the podcasting and the ad, ad, and all, all this stuff that you want to do on the side, and then it's like a second full time job. I mean, I found that out when I was when I was working at my corporate job for years and years, and then trying to get the blog off the ground and the podcast off the ground. It was like go to work for eight nine hours, come home, eat something, and then then try and write or podcast or do like a million other things at night. And it was just it is. It can be very, very taxing. Yeah, and uh, I don't know how I didn't add this piece, but I, I'm also married and have four kids, 12 and <laughs> under. So, um, you know, I still want to prioritize, like I read with my seven-year-old before bedtime, before coming down here to uh, jump on the podcast with you. So it's trying to manage family life and uh, work and my uh, advocacy work that I love uh, and I'm very passionate about. So, like, how do you have any time at all to, like, do anything. <laughs> so I don't have a ton of time to do too much, uh, but I do try to prioritize making sure that I, I get out with friends once in a while. It had been quite some time and I got out last night and hopped on my bike and met up a couple of my best uh, high school buddies. Um, and we were all on our bikes and went to a couple different bars, had just a couple of beers just to keep me sane and out and communicating with friends. I think making sure to keep those connections and social pieces in your life is a, a really part uh, part of self-care and maintaining positive mental health rather than just, you know, isolating in my basement and doing all this podcasting and stuff. Yeah, boy, don't I know that. I know how I know how so often I just you get so caught up in daily life and then you get home and you're exhausted and you're like, I've got to do self-care or, you know, so-and-so call me and, and, you know, I want to get out and do this, that, and the other thing. And so often the self-care gets pushed to the side um, and, you know, in favor of just everyday life. And so absolutely. And yeah, I mean, last night too, I mean, that's a perfect example. I was so close to canceling out and saying, look, I'm exhausted. I got a lot of work, but I just forced myself to go out. I knew I would enjoy seeing those guys. I knew we'd have great conversation. And uh, I'm really glad that I prioritized it. I got to sleep a little later than I wanted to, you know, and didn't quite get up as early as I was hoping, but uh, made the day work just fine. And I think it was an important piece. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great reminder for us all to prioritize self-care and relaxing. And then, you know, it's funny so often when you are this close to canceling from something and then you go and, and and then you always do have just like this amazing time and you just, you know, kind of forget about the day's events and what's going on and just enjoy your time with your friends or your family or whatever it is. So it's a great reminder to everybody and to myself too, because God knows I need the, the reminder to do self-care and to do fun things because whether you're an advocate, a blogger, a podcaster, you know, whatever it is you're doing, Take time for yourself because that's how you recharge because you can't fill up other people and help others if you're empty. Right? Yeah, so. absolutely. Can't help anybody else unless you're taking care of yourself. 
Um, There's actually a hashtag I've tried to get going, but I don't have nearly enough followers to get it to catch on. But uh, I've tried to utilize the hashtag self-care is critical care. Yeah, just because I really think it's true. Well, I will put that in the uh, blog or in the uh, social media once your podcast goes out. Excellent. (laughs) That sounds good. Uh, your podcast um, is, is called The Depression Files. It's available on iTunes and on Podbean. And so why don't we share a little bit about your story and um, anything else you want to share about you, and then we can jump into how the podcast got started and your blog and all that good stuff. Yeah, that sounds great. So uh, my story starts in 2010. Uh, I was promoted from an assistant principal in the school district to a principal Um, had my own building for the first time and was put into what I think was a really challenging situation, probably not unlike many, many principals who jump into the role. But, you know, there wasn't really a transition plan. I came into a budget shortfall. I was cutting staff immediately when I got there. Um, We had class lists that were skyrocketing, and I was trying to shut that down and wasn't really able to. So, I literally had first grade classes, class lists up to like 40 kids um, in a classroom, which, uh, you know, I certainly was hearing from those staff members, those teachers. Uh, So I was bumping into a lot of different challenges right away in work. And at home at the time, I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old and two newborns. And uh, I really never saw them. Uh, I was up and out to work before anybody in the house was up as a brand new principal. And uh, I was home almost always after dinner and many nights after bedtime. And suddenly uh, I noticed that uh, there were changes going on with me. All of a sudden I wasn't eating. I had a knot in my stomach. I wasn't sleeping very well at all. And that was getting more and more complicated. And I reached out to my brother pretty quickly, who's a family doctor, and Uh, Although he's living in England, he was a huge support for me and really uh, pushed me, you know, to check in with a doctor. I showed up at my doctor's appointment and literally when my doctor walked into this little tiny office, I was pacing from one wall to the other and I never pace. And my doctor knew me for several years and he was like, whoa, Al, what's up? And I shared with him about my work situation, shared with him about home. And he's like, this is, you know, classic depression. Um, and I would consider it, you know, situational depression based on the situation and the overwhelming amounts of responsibility I was put in having depression. But I remember leaving that office with a prescription for a medication and calling my mom who had um, retired fairly, uh, prior to that, not too long before that. And I remember telling her like, look, I think I have to quit. This is just too much. And she kind of pushed me to keep trying and push through it. And with the support of my brother, who actually helped me navigate the the very challenging piece of of starting an antidepressant that could take four to six weeks or eight weeks to really reach full potential and effect of how to manage the time until I was better. And he helped me advocate for some other medications and things along those lines that helped me get through and you know, I think that depression maybe was two to probably probably more like three months or so, and I started feeling much better and um, being able to communicate with everybody much better and uh, went through another year as a principal and then actually decided that, you know, I never saw my family, although my wife was supportive, 
it just didn't feel right for me, and I asked for a voluntary demotion to be back at an assistant principal. So uh, I left, uh, and in 2013 started, uh, actually uh, 2012, I think it was, um, it was 2012, and left the school for an assistant principalship um, and worked for another year as an assistant principal, which was all right, not too bad. Um, it was a little bit challenging because I had left the principalship and the principal I was working with wasn't tenured. So it was a little bit tenuous, but got through that year just fine and was feeling all right, had actually weaned off my medications and things. And then in 2000, and then I got a new principal the next year. And in uh, January of, no, I'm sorry, in November of 2013, um, I ended up uh, with another bout of depression. And it was really, it really caught me off guard because everything was going smoothly. I really liked my new principal. I got a great first review. I met him in August. We worked through, you know, part of the summer before staff came back and everything. And then, um, and then uh, in October, I remember telling my brother and my best friend, like, something's going on. My body feels really, really weird, and this isn't going to be good. And sure enough, in October, pretty much three years later exactly to the date, my brother said, looking back at emails, that uh, I started into another bout of depression. And this one, I always say, made my last one look like a stroll through the park. Um, I... Uh, lost about 50 pounds. I had such a knot in my stomach. I couldn't eat. I think I was sleeping maybe like 10 hours a week, um, just running on adrenaline, I think, and trying um, medication, trying therapy and trying everything. And my wife and I realized over Thanksgiving, we were at a friend of hers place and I wasn't communicating at all. It was a small group of party a small group and uh I was sitting at the island countertop at the kitchen and I felt like I was like a fly on the wall just observing everybody around me and I couldn't even communicate at that point my depression was getting so bad and that night my wife and I talked like wow if this is what's going on with my home life and personal life what does it look like at work and we decided that I really needed to share with my boss what was going on so that he would understand and it wouldn't look like I was an incompetent employee, but let him know what was really happening. And I invited him out to coffee, said, hey, here's the deal. I'm going through some depression. He uh, told me to go home and take the time I needed. I left him from a coffee shop. His first call was to my wife to say, hey, Al just left the coffee shop. He told me what's going on. Just wanted you to know he's on his way home so that you know he should be getting there soon because he was concerned. Um, I took 10 days off of work, fairly unstructured, and uh, which in hindsight I always say was an awful idea. I, I had no plans. I was trying to adjust the medication. That was my goal with the psychiatrist. And I would make a short list like I'm going to clean one bathroom tomorrow, and I couldn't. I couldn't get off the couch. I wanted to sleep. I wanted to take naps. I would go up into my bedroom and close the door and lay down for three hours and not sleep a wink. Um, I would make it through the day and I'd have crying bouts at night, uncontrollable crying. I couldn't stop. Um, 
and uh, it was really, really a miserable 10 days. And I tried to go back to work thinking, okay, I can do this. It was just before winter break. It would be a great trial period. And all of a sudden, I started realizing I was having some suicidal thoughts, very general thoughts of, you know, it'd be better off if I wasn't here and things like that. And I went back to my psychiatric PA, physician's assistant, and said, hey, you know, I'm having some suicidal thoughts. Could this be the depression or could this be the um, the antidepressants, which, uh, you know, as paradoxical as it is, have black box warnings, warning about suicidal thoughts. And he said, yes, it could be the depression. It could be the, the meds. Let's up your medication. He upped it and my suicidal thoughts skyrocketed. I couldn't get them out of my head. Um, I'd push them away and then it would be there again. I had a plan. I had a means. I had access to a means. Um, it was really starting to freak me out and scare me. And uh, I remember waking up one night dreaming of the plan. And I got to my wife and sister the next morning and just said, I need more help. Please come to my appointment and advocate for me. And they talked to my psychiatric PA into uh, allow writing a letter, and I ended up uh, taking three weeks off of work and checking myself into a partial rehos uh, partial hospitalization program um, to get better, which was an incredible kickstart to recovery. But as one psychiatrist uh, psychologist told me, you know, a, a deep dark depression that I was in would take a full year for a full recovery. Um, at least. And I think they're right. You know, I felt much better. I could tell I was getting better when I left that three-week program. I certainly had a long ways to go and shared that with my boss um, and said, you know, I wouldn't be coming back to work if I didn't think I could handle it. And I think I can and know that I'm not 100%. And again, he was incredibly supportive. Um, I still have the same principal. Uh, his name is Dr. Bass. And I think having... Um, a boss, an employer that is understanding in, in around issues of mental illness is really important. And I think that's why we have to do more to educate employers and have them understand what, what it means to go through depression or to have other mental illnesses and how we can accommodate and support so people can get through rough times and still be incredible employees. Wow. I have so many things, <laughs> so, so many places I could go. I'm like, where do I start? I'm sorry. I told you sometimes <laughs> when I start talking, I just go. No, it's awesome because it, it gives me so many different ways to think about it and, and stuff <laughs> and topics to go to. But um, a couple of things that, that, that stood out among, among just your incredible story. And um, one of the things that uh, you had mentioned was earlier, you had the, the wherewithal to ask for a demotion to kind yeah. of go back to what you knew before. And that's not something that comes very easy to anybody. It doesn't matter what line of work you're in and what position you have, you know, when you get a promotion that you work so hard for and you're excited and then to realize that, Hey, maybe there's something going on here. Maybe this is not the right time for this. Maybe I need to back off to have that kind of, I mean, not only awareness, but guts to be like, look, I really, I really need to go back to what I was doing before and, and, you know, kind of regroup a little bit like that. Maybe kind of share a little bit more about that. Cause I think that's something that is very, very difficult. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, so much of the American dream is push, fight, work so hard, get to the top. And, you know, I got there and I think I realized, um, 
that it wasn't all it was meant to be. I was missing out on some key pieces of my life. You know, it had developed depression for me and um, was a big part of that. Actually, um, you know, I love the school district I work in. Uh, I Although my principalship was uh, really challenging, I think uh, I could have been better supported. When I went into my final meeting that, after that second year, typically people inside the district either get tenured or non-renewed. Um, those are the two options. And my boss had a different boss the second year than my first year. And my boss just kind of said, you know, I didn't get to mentor you for two years. So I think uh, I'm going to ask you for a second, a third year of probation. And, you know, in my mind, it was like, okay, I met all my goals. I did everything that I was asked to. I didn't see my boss in my building much because things were running pretty smoothly. And uh, I couldn't understand why I was asked for a third year. And at the same time, that gave me the opportunity to really think about it hard because I said, how about a, how about I choose a voluntary demotion? And I think my boss was taken aback, said, you know, I'm not exactly sure. And I said, well, it wouldn't go down as a non-renewal, right? Because that's not what it is. And my boss said, let me check on that. And that gave me two to three days to talk to my wife. And I shared with her my thoughts and what I really wanted to do. And it wasn't an easy decision, but it was definitely the right decision. And uh, I, it was well worth it. You know, I, I told my wife, uh, you know, I don't know what, how significant of a cut it will be in pay, but I'm sure we can make it work. And she was supportive either way, really, my wife was. But it was a decision I'm, to this day I'm really glad that I made because I'm able to find a little more work-life balance. I can get to my kids' soccer games. I can be a part of their sports. I can be with my family. I can do my advocacy work and uh, not uh, run an entire building and run the whole show on my own. You know, at the time I had no assistant principal or anybody like that because I was at the elementary level. And, uh, you know, you're running the show at that level. And um, so... It was a difficult decision, but I'm really, really glad I made it in the end. And and in the end, the the money was a pretty minimal cut for the amount of responsibility I was able to kind of let go of and take off my shoulders. And I ended up with this uh, working with this incredible principal who's doing an amazing job of supporting me and developing me into a, an even better and stronger leader, even though he knows a principalship isn't my goal, but he also knows I don't want to sit on my haunches and watch things pass by. I want to continue to develop and be the best assistant principal and best leader I can be. Yeah. And it's just, it's so amazing that when you realize that, you know, things in your life weren't, weren't necessarily working out the way you wanted, you were missing out time with your kids, depression was creeping in. And so you're like, Hey, I need to take a step back, still doing the same thing I love to do. But, and then, you know, as, as it turns out, it all worked out in the end. It was a great decision. And I think it's a good Reminder for all of us that, you know, as we talked about earlier about making self-care a priority, you know, making your overall life a priority and your family and the balance a priority and being okay with taking a step down or taking a step back or, you know, changing some things up in our work life and then, you know, our personal life to be able to to work on other things, to spend time with the family. Just it's all about balance and and so often in our careers and whatnot, everything gets out of balance. So something else that you mentioned too was 
um, initially when you were going through the depression, you were getting like very little sleep. You know, you, you were getting like 10 hours a week. And then in one of the other episodes, you were doing like nothing but trying to sleep. So I think a lot of times depression kind of gets the stereotype of all I ever do is lay around and all, you know, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything. But the other side of it too, is that you run on adrenaline. Yeah. So in both of those cases that I shared with you, I could not sleep. Um, I would go into my bedroom and want to take a three hour nap and lay there behind the safety of my door, knowing if I'm in this bed behind this closed door, nobody's going to see me. I don't have to deal with life. I'm, I'm safe here. And so it was kind of my safe place. And I did try to sleep and take a nap. One of my psychologists said, you know, it's like a brain injury and you need rest. But I could not sleep. And I think it was just that my mind was racing. But you're absolutely right. For some people, um, depression manifests as far as sleep goes in a way that makes you just stay in bed and you can't get out of bed. And some are sleeping a ton. It's really interesting because the symptoms of depression can be so different. Some people end up gaining a ton of weight. I lost a ton of weight. Some can't sleep. Some sleep a ton. Um, you know, so it can show up in some really different ways. And another thing I, this isn't my coined phrase, but I love the phrase, the catch 22 of depression, which is, it's amazing because everything you need to do to recover from depression is compromised by the very symptoms themselves. You should be eating healthy, but you can't eat it all. You need a good night of sleep, but you can't sleep. You need exercise, but you're drained, right? You need to go out and socialize, but you are numb to feeling and have no emotions. And I mean, I would be a block on a log. I sat out with a few friends as I was just diving into my depression and told my best friend, like, wow, I didn't even talk when I was out with you guys. And, and I would check in with him and I'd check in with my wife, like, how'd I do? And it was my whole depression. It was almost like an out of body experience. It was, it wasn't who I was. And I remember for my second depression, that was so, so huge and debilitating. Like I told my psychologist and I told my wife and my brother and sister so many times, like, I just want to feel like myself. Like my entire body, it wasn't me. It so, was so bizarre and so hard to explain. Um, and I think there's a big misconception that, that depression equals sadness. And it's, that's so wrong. I mean, a lot of times it's no emotion at all. It's like a complete numbness to any kind of feeling at all. Sometimes it is really sad. Like I said, I had uncontrollable crying bouts, um, some for a reason, about being sad, about wanting to be done with my depression or whatever, and some for no reason at all. But it is a lot more than somebody being sad. And, you know, so, and it is incredibly, can be incredibly debilitating. So for those people who have never been through depression who think, you know, oh, just go out for a walk, get some exercise, you know, watch a funny movie, you'll be fine, push through it, you're okay, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not like that. It is an illness. It's an illness, just like you wouldn't tell somebody, you know, with cancer going through chemo, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on, hop off that bed. It, everything you said is just so on point. And it, it made me think too that so many aspects of so many mental health challenges, whether it's depression, whether it's um, anxiety, whether it's 
um, eating disorders, like everything that you know you want to do to help yourself, you can't do because of what you're going through. Yeah, like, it's, it's amazing. Just, it is. I mean, you know, like so many people I talk about with anxiety with clients and, and in my own life, I'm like, you know, well, I have social anxiety, but, you know, at, at the same time, so-and-so wants to go out and my friend invited me, but I'm afraid to because I'm unsafe or I'll feel awkward. Or everybody's judging me. And so you have just like this battle going on in your head. That's just exhausting. And of course, then you get the uh, depression that feeds into it. And then you realize, you know, if you have an eating disorder, well, you, you, you know, you don't want to do what you're doing, but you're doing it and you can't stop because of what you're feeling. And like everything is so interconnected. Yeah. And, and, this, and yeah, like the stuff that you're going through prevents you from doing the stuff that you want to do, you know, to help yourself. Yeah. And the stuff that you really, really need to do. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, you mentioned the anxiety piece too. And I think for many, many people, anxiety and depression kind of go hand in hand um, and they're intertwined and sometimes you can't even pull them apart and tell what's what. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, anxiety just feeds into depression, depression feeds into anxiety. And then, and then you have all this self-shame and, and you know, coming in there and, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's just this, this, this roller coaster of things building up and, and building up and building steam and suddenly you're overwhelmed and you, and you can't make sense of what's going on. And so it's always so important, you know, as you reached out for help um, and, you know, it's a great reminder, you know, don't be afraid to go, to a medical doctor, to a mental health professional and just be like, Hey, this is what's going on. Should I be concerned? You know, and then just, you know, talk about it. And once you realize, and once you get it out in the open, then at least you can start to kind of get a handle on it and grasp it. And, you know, is it something to be concerned about? Yes or no. Okay. And then you move forward and you adjust, but taking that initial step of reaching out like you did and starting to figure out what's going on, you know, I mean, may have, may, may have saved your life and probably did. Yeah, I think for sure when I went to the psychiatrist and said, I need to do something, I mean, I think, yeah, like I said, I mean, I had a plan, I had a means, I was thinking about the time, everything, and could not get that thought out of my head, and when I woke up from that dream, it just, it scared me so badly, and and that's when I, I like, made sure to go, and, and to put that out on the table and say, I need help. What don't you understand here? I need more help. This isn't working. And I'm really scared I'm going to take my life. And my psychiatric PA was still um, wishy-washy about thinking I should take time off of work, you know, saying, oh, you know, it could be a little difficult. That could be stressful in itself, you know. What are you going to tell people when you go back and stuff? And luckily, my sister and wife were there to say, look, he needs this time off. We'll deal with that kind of stress when he goes back to work right now. He needs this. Like, what aren't you hearing? So yeah. I was so glad that they were there to, to advocate for me. And I was, you know, in a way looking in hindsight, I'm proud of myself for asking them to go with me to say, look, I need some help here. Um, so it's not easy. And I think more, you know, a big piece of my advocacy is around men in depression, not exclusively, but that's a big part of it. And I think more men do feel like they have to buck up and they can't talk about their feelings and they hold it in and they need to know that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to need to reach out for help. It's okay to ask for help. Um, and, and it's okay to talk about it. Like that's how you're going to get better. Yeah. And yeah, um, I want to get into your podcast here a bit too, but you mentioned something so important is that for guys so often, it's hard to reach out and ask for help. 
um, because, you know, it's the whole man card thing. It's their pride thing. It's the whole suck it up, you know, kind of deal with your own problems or, you know, try and take care of everybody else's stuff and let yours, you know, just deal with it as it comes. And so being able to to go ask for help, I mean, it, it's such a key step. And was it, did you find it difficult at all to ask for help? So it was really difficult for me in the beginning. And I have a great example, my own case as an example of how hard it can be to reach out for help when depressed. And when I was going through my depression, my best friend, the guy who I shared stuff with, it took him a while, but one day he said, hey, you know what? I know this guy and all he does is deal with men with depression. And I was able actually to make a joke. And I was like, you, you've been holding out on me? Um, so he gave me the name and that's all this guy does is deal with men and depression. And he's local. And my buddy said, call him. And I asked my buddy, hey, could you please text him and let him know I'm going to give him a call? And he did. And then I didn't call him. I texted my buddy the next week. Hey, let him know I'm going to call him this week. Couldn't get up the courage to call this guy who all he does is deal with men and depression. Third week, text my buddy. Can you tell him I'm going to call him? Like, give him a heads up as if he needed a heads up. Like, a depressed guy is going to call you. That's all he, those are the calls he deals with. It took me three weeks to call a guy who is connected to my best friend, and all he does is deal with men with depression. It still took me three weeks to reach out to him. Um, And I think that goes to show how difficult it can be to reach out when you need help. When I asked for help and reached out for help from the psychiatric physician's assistant, that was out of sheer fear for my life. I mean, I really believed I was going to take my life, and um, and it really scared me, and I didn't want it to happen um, as much as I, I really thought it was going to happen. Um, some of the comments I made my, to my wife some of the things I did would blow my mind. I mean, some of the internet searches I caught myself doing and I slammed my laptop shut thinking, I can't believe I'm, I'm doing this, like researching stuff. Um, so yeah, just, uh, this, the second time was sheer fear. Yeah. And I mean, fear, fear helped drive you to get the help that you need. And, you know, at that point it's, whatever needs to happen for you to get the help you need is, is it, you know, and if it's fear, if it's anger, if it's frustration, if it's, you know, your family and friends reaching out to help and support you and encourage you and push you in that direction, you know, as long as you get there, sometimes it doesn't matter how you get there, but yeah. um, Yeah. So, you know, the uh, one thing I want to add is my experience really made me understand when you hear about people who have said, there's no way I would take my life because of my family. And then they tragically take their own life. I mean, I had four kids that I love dearly and a wife I love dearly and like incredibly love them. But what people need to understand is when you're in such a depression, a depressed state, I think I've seen other people talk about it too. You feel like you are such a burden. I wasn't a good father. I wasn't a good dad. I wasn't doing, I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't doing anything around the house because I couldn't. My wife took care of our kids and the house and the family for four to six months and I couldn't do anything. Um, and the, the incredible feeling of being a burden to everybody and I wasn't a good employee, right? Or a good boss. Um, 
and it really made me understand how and why somebody could do that. And I don't think people are correct when they say someone who took their life is selfish. I do understand how some people who are family members may have that feeling that somebody was selfish for taking their own life. But man, nine times out of 10 or 99.5% of the time, the person is sick, probably with depression, and it's a mental illness. They are sick. They feel a burden. They're going through a major depression, and they haven't gotten the help they need. Um, and I want to make sure people know that I'm not, I would never tell somebody that suicide would even be an option, but I just know that it really kind of irks me. It really bothers me when people kind of say so-and-so is selfish for doing that. Um, I think people, people should never get to that point. They need to reach out for help and do whatever they can, but man, it, it's, it's pain. It is that people don't understand the pain people are going through when they're in in the midst of a deep, dark depression. I tell you, I had a, a, a high school buddy of mine who took his own life. It's probably been, this is 2018. It's been at least 10 years now. And now then, of course, now back then, I mean, I was not into mental health at all. I, I was not into therapy. I wasn't doing anything. I was just doing my own thing. And when I found out that he took his own life, I, I, one of the first things I thought after I got over the the shock and the sadness was I was angry at him for being mm-hmm. so selfish and for, and, and for, you know, taking his own life because so many people were his friends and so many people loved him and cared about him. And I had to work through that. And I struggled with that for a long time of being angry at him at the time. I didn't understand. And I think a lot of it is just a total, it's a total lack of understanding, as you mentioned about what, what depression really is and feeling like you're a burden and there's no way out and there's no hope and the world would be a better place without me. And my problems are too overwhelming. And I think for a lot of people, it is a default response when somebody takes their own life that they're close to is, you know, you know, how could they do this when they have so many things going on or, you know, how can they do this? Because so many people love them and really it goes so much deeper than that. Yeah. And I, and you know, you mentioned anger and stuff. Well, you were grieving a good friend, right? And we all know that anger is a piece of grieving and I think it's okay to, to get, you know, have that anger as a part of your grieving. Cause I think it's a natural stage you go through. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm still uh, trying to get over being angry at a, a good friend of mine who I lost because he drank himself to death and I had never dealt with a friend with alcoholism and he ended up dying and he had a great job, lost his job, had a great family, lost his family, um, and then finally lost his life. And I certainly was angry at him for drinking. And I had to, you know, remind myself that he was dealing with alcoholism. And, you know, if he could have stopped and been healthy, I'm sure he would have. Right. I could not agree more. Um, I want to get into yet yeah, before we start to wrap it up is, so how did all this translate into you starting the podcast? So my first step was, um, I decided that, you know, it was like May, um, a few years ago and I decided, you know, I really want to, I was still going to a men's support group. I still go to it every other week. I go to a men's support group for depression and anxiety. Um, and I decided I, I really, I want, wanted to help people understand more about depression and, uh, to advocate for those going through it and help uh, create a better understanding and fight against the stigma. So I created a blog. Um, I realized that my blog, uh, I couldn't even 
Google it and find it myself. So unless you had the address, I felt like even though I was trying to be public, it was still pretty private. I ended up creating a Twitter account so that I could drive traffic to my blog. And that worked, and that was going really pretty well. And then I got invited to the conference you mentioned, the Healthy Voices Conference. And ironically enough, I went two years ago. So when I met you, that was my second year. And my first year, I didn't meet any podcasters, and they didn't have any sessions on podcasting. But I, for some reason, uh, I heard some of the advocates talking about podcasting, and it really struck me. And I ended up meeting a woman, a mental health advocate who does a lot of videos, um, video blogging, vlogging on YouTube, and is pretty well known in the mental health field. And she, I asked her if she did any podcasting, and she did not, but she connected me with Paul Gilmartin from the Mental Illness Happy Hour and said, reach out to him. And I did and said, hey, I'm just thinking about a podcast. You got any suggestions? And he sent me a ton of feedback and ideas and stuff. And I ran with it and started creating a podcast. I I decided maybe partly because I was in this group, a, a men's group for depression and anxiety and what I had learned about depression and men and depression, I decided that I really wanted to kind of focus on men and depression. So I created the Depression Files podcast. It's all interviews um, of men who have been through depression and uh, I launched it uh, one year ago, like last week. Uh, on World Suicide Prevention uh, and Awareness Day, uh, September 10th, I believe it was, last year. So it's been just over one year running. I have about 28 interviews um, published. I post uh, a new interview every other Sunday. And uh, like I said, it's been going a year strong. 28 interviews posted, and it has been an amazing journey and learning experience for me. And I just love it. And I try to, you know, improve my interviewing skills all the time so that I can be the best interviewer I can be. I'm the editing takes time, you know, and I'm I really want the sound to be great. I just want to have a really good product to share with people. And my goal is really to have people listen, understand, hear stories. I really strongly believe the more we share our stories, the more we can help chip away at the stigma. So my goals are to educate those who know little about depression, support those who may be going through it, and chip away at the stigma. I listened to your podcast, man. It is awesome. It sounds great. So your hard work definitely pays off, and I'm a big fan, and I will make sure I link to it in, oh, the, thank you. in the blog post. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, from my end, being a listener, it sounds awesome. So, you know, if you needed that little nudge that, you know, hey, I'm doing good, you are doing well, man. All right. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, yeah, I love the feedback. I'm trying to get more and more listeners. Um, really, it's it's not about me. I mean, I'm putting it out there for others. So I want more listeners just to know that I'm reaching more people and more people are hearing other men's stories about depression. And, and a lot of it is about giving hope, right? Like, 90% of my interviews, almost all of them, are guys who have made it through a really challenging time, maybe living with depression ongoing. Everybody's depression's a little bit different. Some are going through cyclical pieces of depression. Some have sad um, seasonal affective disorder. Many of the men end up, uh, I don't realize it at first, but they have bipolar disorder. Um, so I've learned a ton about bipolar disorder, and they share about their depression on the show, and they also share about the mania. 
Al, this is awesome. I am so glad you came on the show, man. Your work speaks for itself, your blog, your podcast, everything that you're doing, everything that you've overcome is an inspiration. I'm so glad that you were on here on Beyond Your Past. Everybody, definitely check out the Depression Files. You can find it. Just Google it. You'll see him there. You can go on iTunes and on Podbean. You can find his podcast. Al, thanks again, brother. It was amazing. And I I definitely look forward to talking to you in the future. Sounds great. Keep in touch, Matt. Keep up your great work. And I'm going to continue listening to Beyond Your Past as well. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for or supersedes professional medical help or mental health counseling. Thank you again to my sponsors, inlpcenter.org and Daily Recovery Support. I hope you'll consider checking them out as they've joined forces to help keep the lights on here at the podcast and help Beyond Your Past reach as many as possible with a message of hope. If you'd like to learn more about working with me as your coach, or if you're curious about what life coaching is and how it might be right for you, then head on over to beyondyourpast.com and claim your free one-hour session where we can talk about the struggles in your life in the areas of anxiety and trauma recovery and see if coaching might be a great fit for you. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share it with all your friends. See you next time.